Praise God. Man, we are so glad you took some time to be here. Would you put your hands together, though, and welcome everybody that's joining us online. Can we do that? Oh, man, we're so excited that you are tuning in or you came in person. We're in the 23rd Psalm. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open to that Psalm. Uh, this is an encouraging text. It's written as a praise at the end of King David's life under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's at work in King David, bringing to mind all of the past seasons where David didn't get it right. All of the moments where the world went crazy and became an enemy of David. He endured a father-in-law that wanted to kill him. Some of y'all can relate. Praise God. Yeah, yeah. He, he endured having to run with his mighty men and hide in caves and wait on God to elevate him. He, he endured the moment where he stood before Goliath and no one believed in him. He endured the moment where he failed and went farther in sin than he ever thought he could go. And then he tried to cover up that sin with more sin, which never works. And he experienced at the bottom of his failure the grace and the mercy of God that was sufficient for him in his time of need. It's a text that reminds us that he is the Lord which means he's powerful and he is able, but he's also our shepherd. He's the Lord in that he owns it all, but he's intimately acquainted with all that he owns that are a part of his creation. He knows you, cares about you, has a plan for you, desires good for and in and through you. And sometimes in life you go through seasons where you feel forsaken. You go through a year or a I never thought in your life and you begin to think to yourself that God no longer is good or his care and his affection is for others and your performance has rendered his stern hand but not his hand of grace and mercy. But God only knows both correction with mercy, correction with grace. He corrects those he loves but he leads those he loves out of the brokenness of their sin and their pain and their mistakes into wholeness that they could not have apart from him. God loves you. I Man, I told last service, it's hard because uh, I'm a feeler. I'm an attention deficit disorder guy. But man, I, I have absolutely just fallen in love with what God's doing in this house. And to those of you that have stayed through this season of I Never Thought, I want to encourage you that seed always is invisible before it's visible. It's got to go into the ground before God brings beauty out of it. And I, just, I want you to hear, not, not in an impersonal way, I love the church, I love a big church, I, lo I love Christians, I love other pastors, I love other brothers and sisters in Christ. But man, I just sense that God has just a heart for you that he's sharing with me and he loves you. He's seen your pain, he's seen where you've been. He knows the prayers that you're praying that you're not expecting him to answer anymore and you've been praying them long before 2020 hit. And I, I just want to submit to you that, that God cares, that he is a good shepherd. And what we're doing in this text is we're taking some time to remind each other that sometimes you need to remember what God has done to have faith for what he's yet to do. Sometimes you've got to remember that in a past season when you didn't think God was enough, he was enough and you're still here. So that you can be bold in faith now that you're here. You see, you got to go through lions and bears before you can take down Goliath. And so sometimes God reminds you, hey, there was a lion and a bear, and you didn't think that would happen. But now you're here, and you don't think this can happen. But the same God that delivered you from that can deliver you from this. Because if you don't take down Goliath, you're not going to find the sword in storage when you need it to go and take on the army that you don't have a weapon for. You see, God, God has a way of lining things up, of... of playing chess when the devil's playing check or, yeah playing chess when the devil's playing checkers and, and you find yourself looking in the rearview mirror of what I call providence going I had no clue that's what you were up to but God 
you far exceeded what we expected of you in your ability and your power and your faithfulness. And so King David ends this praise, this 23rd Psalm in verse 1, by saying, The Lord, all power for God, is intimately acquainted as my shepherd. I shall not want. He is Jireh, my provider. Now, we need to be reminded of the character of God, but sometimes we need to be uh, a borrower of faith from the community of God. I mean, there's some times where I just get um, Eeyore. I just get Ebenezer Scrooge. Anybody ever been there? I don't know why I feel it come on. My attitude stinks. My kids are like, ugh, like what's happening with him? Like who, who, I can't say that. Who, filters kicked in. Who, who, who took, who put another product in his Cheerios? Okay, that, that's where I was going. Like, like who, like what, what happened to the, the preacher on the stage who's now in the minivan saying stuff that like, like everyone would be ashamed of if they were to hear dad in this moment. This is not righteous anger. This is not the anger that's producing good stuff. This is like in the flesh anger. Anybody ever been there? And in that moment, I need the community of faith to sometimes uh, borrow or lend me a reminder about who God is. And that's what we're trying to do in this text is get a, some borrowed faith and be reminded of our faith so that we can have courage when God's not answered the prayer yet, when we've not seen the results yet. Are you tracking with me? Now, uh, before I get into verse 2, and I'd hope to preach verse 2 and 3 to you today, but we're only going to get to verse 2, part 1, because God's got so much in this, I wanted to take some time. Uh, but before we jump into that, let me first make an observation. If Jesus is the good shepherd, what does that make you? Say it, say it a little louder. Sheep. Okay, I just want to make sure we're, we're understanding the analogy here because sheep is a term that is not looked highly upon in our culture. I mean, think about the number of Christians that have been calling other people sheep online all year. And, and last I checked, being a, shep, a sheep to the good shepherd's leadership is actually a good thing. And I understand we're talking about, you know, we don't want the government to shepherd us. I don't want the government to shepherd me. I don't want them in my business, right? Like, I don't want them monitoring whenever I got more than $600 on a rare occasion in my bank account. Like, you know, I... Because I, I, billionaires are shifting money. I've never met a billionaire with $600 in his bank account, but I'll digress and move on and get off of meddling and get back to preaching. My, my, point, my point is I get what, what we have meant, what many of us have meant. Is that better? I forgot my tape. You want to hand me a handheld? Can I grab Shannon's mic? Is that good? All right, I'm going to Shannon. Here we go. Or one of these. Is she red or is she blue? We aren't muted. We there? All right. This is dangerous. Preacher with a mic. All right. <laughs> uh, so so what, what I want us to do is take a second and just remind you that you are a sheep in his pasture. And that's okay. And that's actually the idea. Because for many of us, we have been running from the idea of being needy or looking desperate. And that's actually what the shepherd wants us to do so that he can then step in and without our resistance, lead us to the green pastures he wants to lead us through. Walk us through the valleys of the shadow of death that he desires to walk us through. Uh, prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies whenever we are struggling to have a moment of sustenance in a, in a season of chaos. And so being a sheep under the good shepherd's leadership is not a bad thing. Many of you have been a sheep of the wrong thing. You've looked to your opinion and your leadership as being your shepherd and you don't do a good job of leading yourself. Let me just go ahead and submit to you that you're a bad choice to be your leader. I've got video footage of what sheep do when they don't have a good shepherd. Check this out. Here's what happens. Here's a sheep. They found a ditch. By the way, this is a sewage ditch in the Middle East. Okay? 
So a shepherd comes, pulls the sheep out. The sheep's like, hey, I don't need you anymore. Freedom! Boom. (laughs) And many of you are on that cycle right now in your life. You need Jesus when you get stuck, but you got it as soon as you get out. And you think, I got this. I don't don't need you anymore. Jaira, you were enough. I'm good today. I mean, that's where a lot of us are. And so we get in this cycle of wondering why we continue to get the same results, not understanding that the definition of a fool is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome, when for a lot of us, we've been coming close and walking away from God over and over again. And last I checked in Scripture, in the book of Job, the only person who walks into the presence of God and then tries to wander as far as they can from the presence of God is a guy named Satan, and he wants to be your shepherd too. And if you'll let him, he'll walk you away from being close to God to getting back into this state of mind that you are self-sufficient and you don't need to be a sheep because you're a lion. (laughs) Gonna get you. So I just wanna, I wanna take a second before we dive into the text just to remind you that you're a sheep, God knows it and he's good with it. You're a sheep, God knows it and he's good with it. And if you are a sheep, in his pasture, there's a few things, no duh things that some of us need to be reminded of because we're losing our minds. Your Facebook proves it. Uh, you're losing your mind right now in this season, going crazy, filled with worry, can't sleep at night, mind is racing, all because you forgot that there's a shepherd and you ain't the shepherd. You're the shepherd and uh, you have a good shepherd and his name isn't Satan and it's not public opinion and it's not your past. There's a good shepherd and he's faithful and he's ready to lead you if you'll simply Stay close. Uh, The first thing I want you to see if you are in the Good Shepherd's flock is that sheep, all sheep need a leader. In fact, you will never find a good story, like a story that has a good outcome in it when a sheep wanders from the shepherd. Never goes well. This is the sin of Adam and Eve in the very beginning. They thought outside of God, they could find something that God wasn't giving them. So if they went around God for what he didn't provide for them, they could get from God what he had provided for them and they would be happy. They would be wise. They would have wisdom that God was withholding from them. So they wander away and what happens? This, the entire world. It's the midpoint of the Bible. You're three chapters in and by Genesis chapter three, you get to the midpoint of God's story. And it ends in chapter three with God saying, I'm sending a son and the serpent will bruise his heel, speaking of the crucifixion, but he will crush his head. Don't play with my God. He ain't safe. He's good, but he ain't safe. Anyway, I ain't got time to rap. Okay. Sheep are never mentioned in a positive term unless they are near the shepherd. They have no defeat, defense system. They don't have teeth. They don't have claws. They don't have athleticism. So at the end of the day, you need to understand that you need a sufficient savior and your plight, the direction of your life is dependent upon whatever is leading you. You can lead you, but I'm gonna submit to you that we already got enough evidence called the Bible with tons of people that took the lead themselves and it did not go good and you're not any different. You're not a snowflake. Let me undo what we've been teaching you in school. You are not unique. You are uniquely made in Christ for his glory, but, but you and of yourself were not made to be a celebrity. You were not made to be worshiped. You were made to be a worshiper of the one thing that is worthy of worship. Yet for many of you, you've been running around trying to get worship instead of give worship, which is why you have conflict going on internally and you're paranoid that in, anytime anyone looks at you, anytime you fell, because you're constantly trying to keep up the guise that you are worthy of worship when you were made to worship. That was free. I went in the first service. Let me encourage myself. Pastor Russ, you keep preaching because they're just going to stop. They ain't going to look at you. I don't know what's going on, but woo. Sorry. Okay. Sheep need a leader. 
and the sufficiency of your Savior is key. There's a story that came out through BBC about some Turkish shepherds that decided they were going to bring their flocks together back in 2005. And they were going to go and have breakfast just a little bit away and lead the sheep to themselves. Bad move. As they were eating breakfast, 400 sheep ran off the side of a cliff dying. 1,100 more sheep followed the 400 sheep that had already jumped off the cliff. And the only reason they survived was the bodies of the 400 sheep patted them. When you follow the uh, shepherd of public opinion, when you follow the shepherd of your own self-sufficiency, when you follow the shepherding sense of the enemy that tells you that sin is the way to go, that you need some of God, but you need to have a diverse portfolio of shepherds, what you end up finding is a cliff and a whole lot of carnage. You need a leader. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't offer himself to the perfect and the put together. He's here for the least, the lonely, and the lost. He's here for those that have yet to understand or have come to the point of understanding and conviction that they aren't sufficient and that they are broken and they don't know how they're going to get over or through or whatever it is that they're facing and they need someone to intervene because they know that they don't have the resources. They don't have the charisma. They don't have the natural talents to deceive themselves into thinking that they got this anymore. He offers himself to whosoever would believe. And in John 10, we get this whole passage that's about the good shepherd And it says this, to the good shepherd, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. Colossians will say, he is before all things, he is in all things, and in him all things hold together. It's an incredible text. So when he has brought them out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Let me, let me just really quick ask. Do you know the voice of God distinguished from the voice of the other pseudo-shepherds in the world? Do you know the voice of God from your flesh? It's a hard one. Because your flesh wants a lot, of, a lot of comfort now. It's fast food leadership. And if you only eat fast food, I don't care what that movie about the guy that ate McDonald's tells you, it ain't good for you. The flesh wants fast food leadership. Satan wants half-hearted, lukewarm allegiances. He's not looking for you to bow your knee to him and worship him. A lot of us think that if Satan's at work, he's just looking for us to worship him. He's looking for us to have a total allegiance towards him. No, no, no. He just doesn't want your allegiance with Christ. He wants a 50-50 dependency upon God because he knows he's got you once he's got you somewhat dependent, somewhat focusing on God, but half of the time focused on something else. Do you know the shepherd's voice? Uh, When we moved to California several years ago, uh, I got a West Coast mama and a West Coast daddy that adopted us. Uh, Their name's Dan and Jerry Bridge, and this is them right here. Dan's like six foot five or something like that. He's a tall dude. And uh, they just invited us over, and they just loved on us. And they had a little farm out back of their house that my kids just constantly loved. I got attacked by a goat once, so I didn't love it because I tried to hurdle a fence. I almost made it. My foot caught it. It's a bad story. Um, Somebody was watching it. They laughed so hard they peed themselves. It was great. Um, (laughs) But my, my point is, they were raising uh, animals and let kids raise animals for FFA, and they would go and show them. Anybody do that at the Kern County Fair? You got a buckle? Oh, I got one nudge. There's one wife that outed her husband that he was in the FFA. All right. Everybody else, you just lived in the city, huh? The great city of Duncan. All right. Um, no animals in Duncan. So they raised a pig one year, 
and they have an auction where they sell those pigs for barbecue. And uh, every day throughout that year, Jerry had gone out and would say, Lucy, and hold out some watermelon grinds, and the pig would run right up to her and eat right out of her hand. So she wanted to take one last meal to Lucy before the fair. I know some of you are getting sad. This is about barbecue, and the end product's always worth it. You don't know what's happening in the process, but praise God for the New Testament, for barbecue, and for him saying all animals are clean because I like eating most. Praise God. Got three amens. Preaching good. So she goes to the fairgrounds, and her husband, Dan, is like, there's no way that stupid pig is going to come over to you. There's like 400 pigs on the fair floor. That pig will not know who you are. Well, after a year of that pig hearing her voice, she walked down and said, Lucy, and here that pig goes and comes running. That's what it means to be in the shepherd's leadership, not the barbecue part. The part I'm trying to get at is you know his voice when he calls. Bernie Krause records nature sounds. That's his job. What an interesting job, right? What do you do for a living? I walk out into the woods and I do this. How long does it take? A while. And every time you hear nature sounds like on a soundscape, that's likely not. Like if you're watching National Geographic or you've got one of those sleep machines that plays like crickets and stuff. Okay, some dude is standing out in the woods and every time a plane comes by, they got to edit that. Every time a horn honks, they got to edit that. Every time a good old boy comes out singing, balls around here, where's the deer, and climbs up in the stand and makes noise, they got to edit that. <laughs> it used to take in the 70s six hours to get one hour of uninterrupted nature. It now, according to him, back in the 2000s, took him over 36 hours to get that same hour. We live in a loud world. There's a lot of voices. My question is, do you know the voice of the good shepherd? Do you know the voice of the good shepherd? Every sheep needs a shepherd. Who's your leader? Who's your shepherd? In the words of a prophet named Bob Dylan, you're going to serve somebody. You better make sure the shepherd's good. Second thing I want you to see is that sheep need a people. This is where I lose some of you. I waited till week two to bring this up. Sheep need a people. God individually pursues and woos and calls you to himself, but he always brings you into a community. When the one sheep in Luke 15 wanders away from God and the good shepherd goes and finds him and brings him back, he brings him back to a flock of sheep. There's a community. There's safety that comes within that. You can borrow faith, be encouraged. You also can find a lot of brokenness when you're around the community which is why a lot of us wonder from the people of God. And we'll say stuff like, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, which is also known in Scripture, the church, as the bride of Christ. Okay, just want to make sure we're on the same page here because that will make this next point key. If one of you were to come up to me today and you're like, hey, Pastor Russ, love you, great sermon, but your wife, we're not friends. I will hurt you. That, that, that is my rib she is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And if you don't like my wife, we can't be friends. That's the way it works. Simple point. I, don't, don't let the simplicity get to you here. I know some of you have been hurt. 
You have been through it in church, and every time you step out, you've been burned. You tried to allow yourself to be vulnerable, and you found a bunch of people that were covering up, and they weren't being honest, and they weren't being transparent, and so you let out what was really going on, and instead of praying for you, they gossiped about you, they hurt you, they weaponized it and used it against you. I have been there. You do not pastor for as many years as I've pastored and not catch arrows from other believers. It's not the arrows from the outside that hurt. It's the arrows from people that you thought had your back, the people that you joined shoulder to shoulder and shield to shield with that you're supposed to be battling an enemy with for the glory of God. And then you discover that they're swinging at you on the front line when you're trying to serve them and eat the arrows so that they won't be eaten up by them and they're shooting them from behind as well. I I get it. I've been there. There's a lot of reasons why people don't pick and stick with a flock of believers or a group of people that gather together for the glory of Christ around the unity of the gospel of Christ to make the name of Christ known. I, I get that. Some of the reasons are that in 2020, you were told that it wasn't essential. And I, I want to be very clear. Christian community is essential to you living and fulfilling your destiny as a follower of Christ. If you lack Christian community, you will always follow God at a pace that is slower than you could go, tolerate sin that should never be tolerated and will hinder you in your relationship with God, and find yourself always close but not quite where your full potential could be in Christ Jesus. Jesus gave us a community so that we could be corrected, so that we could be loved, so that we wouldn't bear the burden alone, so that we could confess our sins and pray for one another. In fact, 56 or 58 times uniquely in the New Testament, over 100 plus occurrences of those 56 unique statements, we are told to do something in consideration and for another within the bride of Christ. We don't have much of a message, church, for anyone outside of the walls of this until we figure out how to actually do the another's that we've been called to within this wall that cares for people and makes us the irresistible community that we saw in the book of Acts. Let me be very clear. Some of us haven't made it a priority. That's a mistake. Your community matters. Who you break bread with, who you raise your family with matters. Finding a few people who radically love Jesus, who are perfectly imperfect in Christ and content with him being their sufficient savior and choosing to pour out your life in generosity towards them and love them. It is one of the most life-giving and life-fulfilling things you will do. Some of us haven't made it a priority and therefore we find ourselves at a pace that's off of where we know we should be in our relationship with Christ. Some of us have an inability to embrace difficult conversations. We know how to embrace gossiping conversations, but not difficult ones. Gossiping conversations is whenever you know that there's a problem that's happening between you and someone else, and you go, before you go to that person, to someone else to discuss it that has no ability to affect change in what's going on with that other person. The very definition of gossip is talking to someone who's not in an issue and can't change an issue and can't fix an issue about an issue before you talk to the people that are actually in it. That's gossip. So you're like, no, it was just prayer requests. No, it was gossip. I was just just throwing my prayer request out to my sisters. No, you were trying to get an army to shame a sister. That's the difference. You got to have hard conversations. If you can't have hard conversations, your marriage is going to suck. I mean, stink. It's, it's going to stink. I apologize. It came out. It's going to stink. You know why? Because every married couple goes through valleys and mountaintop experiences. 
and, and you're going to have things that you discover. Like, you love every, you are the, you are the, when you date, you are the best version of yourself. Like, like you, you are on parole, you got an ankle bracelet on, like you keep the freak in. You get married, and all of a sudden it's like, praise God. You take the ankle brace off, you're running around, and, and then they move in, and they're like, they pick their underwear up with their toes, catch it, and look at me like I should be impressed. They say nothing to me, and at the end of the day, they roll over and like, hey, baby, want to cuddle? Like, like, like stuff that, I mean, just, you, it's amazing. And if you can't have a difficult conversation, it's going to be very hard to have a flourishing marriage. We've got to have difficult conversations in church. Look, the word of God was not being, has not been given to us so that we always feel good about ourselves. It's been given to us so that we always know that we can turn to Jesus, that there's a gospel that's good news for all sinners, and we're all great sinners that need a great Savior. And so there's going to be times where the gospel corrects. And let me be very clear. When it corrects, it encourages. When it corrects, it invites. The enemy comes to kill, steal, destroy, and dismiss you. But God comes to convict you and invite you. Let me make sure you understand the difference between the two voices. Some of you are playing the voice of the enemy that tells you you've gone too far, you've done too much, your past will never be the past, it'll always affect the present and your future. In reality, what you need to know is the good shepherd says, yes, you have sinned, but my blood paid for that sin. Yes, you've gone farther than you thought you would go, but I am a sufficient savior for you, and I have a plan in this mess to bring beauty out of it. Come to me. I'm inviting you into my presence, not away from my presence. I'm inviting you to depend on me, not live independent from me. I'm inviting you to embrace the identity that only I can give you, not walk in the shame of your identity, of what you've done that's defined by your successes and failures. You need a community. You need a community. And so God gives us the church and the bride of Christ to encourage and build us up. Some of us don't have a community because we can't get, we have an inability to move past church hurt that we've experienced. But let me be very clear and I'll move on. In order for any human relationship to make it, we must be able to grant and receive forgiveness. People sin. They do. People sin. They make mistakes. They fall short. They let you down. There's only one I don't care what Luke Combs says. There's only one thing that will not let you down. Some of y'all got that. The rest of you maybe don't look it up, but you know. The good shepherd is worthy of all your allegiance and all your trust. He is faithful to his word and his promises. He will not say something to you and then forsake that. He will walk it through to its fruition, which is why we trust in him. And we love and give grace to those that are around him because we are unified by the body of Christ to be one people with them. So sheep need a people. Sheep, number three, need a way. Sheep need a way. Hmm. They need a way. Back in the day when shepherds uh, farmed and walked in the countryside, they didn't farm, they herded sheep. But back when they herded sheep, they would lead the sheep out into pastures during the day but at night they would bring them up to caves or to uh, mountain passes that would make it hard for predators to prey upon them. And then as the sheep came in, they would allow the sheep to pass under their shepherd's crook, their, the cane, the, the thing you've seen them hold, and they would inspect each sheep to make sure no parasite or no injury or no ill thing was happening to the sheep. The shepherd daily was inspecting his flock. And at the end of the day, after the sheep were all safe in that area, the shepherds would lay as a gate. Essentially saying, if you're going to get to them, you're going to have to go through me because they belong to me. 
Uh, I could preach this, I don't have time to, but man, what you need to understand about being a sheep in his pasture is that he is the gate, and at night when the enemy comes, and at night when the public opinion comes to remind you of everything that you've done that broke the commandment, it's the creator of the commandment that sits at the gate and goes, no, 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 paid for, owned. They belong in my pasture. That's not a stray sheep. That's not a goat. That's not a, the imitation sheep. That's not someone who belongs in another pasture. I bought them. And if you want them, you got to go through me. Some of y'all need to turn whatever it is you're hearing over to having to go through your good shepherd because you're trying to take it on and you're trying to defend yourself and let, instead of letting the good shepherd defend you and speak for you. Let the word of God speak. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. So don't come around here reminding me about my past because I'm not living there. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. If anyone comes around and tries to tell you that God has forsaken you, that he doesn't care about you, that he doesn't see you, remind them with the word about what your good shepherd has said and that he will never forsake or leave you, that he's always with you in the path of you fulfilling the great commission that he's called you to. If people say that he doesn't care and you begin to think and receive that he doesn't care or that he's not a God of power, remind him that Psalm 1 139 says that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that he numbered the hairs on your head, that there's not a bird that falls from the sky that he doesn't know about. And if he knows when a bird's falling from the sky, how much more does he know an image bearer and their need that he gave his life and his son for so that he could have them in their pasture? Y'all don't want church today, I guess. I don't know what's going on. But he is a sheep, or excuse me, he's the shepherd who makes a way for the sheep. Now, King David could stop at the end of verse one saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and end it there. But he's gonna go on a five-verse humble brag. He's like, let, let, let me communicate to you in case you're not understanding the sufficiency of my Savior, the sufficiency of your, my Savior. And so he comes in with a line that every shepherd would go, say what? He says, he makes me lie down. Sheep have no teeth, no claws, no defense system, yet they're laying in the field going, come get me. Wolves are on the prowl walking around going, oh, golden corral. (laughs) But they have to stay at bay because the shepherd is at, at hand. The shepherd is present. So the sheep, though they are weak and they're not a lion, they lie down. They lie down. Sheep can only lie down whenever they know they are safe. Now, how many of you had a dad or a granddad, or in my case, an aunt named Aunt Mid that could beat up anybody? Anybody had that? Like they were, they were deep in the streets? Come on. Four people? Three people? Okay. But like I used to have this, this difference of uh, body language that would happen whenever I was near my father. My father's 6'3". He used to weigh about 300. And, and he had fought, like, he was a redneck, y'all. Like, he had been through some stuff. Like, he, one time he, he, they were with the band, and they were playing. He had a, a southern rock band, and they had played a big show, and they gotten money, which is a weird thing for musicians. So apparently, from time to time, what happens is people actually pay you for using your talents and your gifts. I, it's unheard of. I, I know it's some people um, get that. But, he, you know, he had, he had, like, taken on, like, three dudes and beat them up by themselves. So anytime I was around my dad, I was like, Phew, my dad's got this. My grandma and my Aunt Mid used to take me to WCW events, and there's a lot of rowdy people up at the Memorial Auditorium. Anybody ever been to the Memorial Auditorium back in the day? Praise God. Went to the Gaither Homecoming and WCW the next week. That's <laughs> how our family rolled. Jesus and wrestling. And uh, Nikita Koloff, I'm speaking weird stuff to you. Nikita Koloff was about to go and get the stinger and, uh, and, and hurt him. And my aunt was so into it, she pulled a boot knife out and tried to stab him. Now, 
all of y'all were like, that woman's crazy, but I felt safe. <laughs> there was a time that I was in a Little League game. I was throwing a no-hitter. And my Aunt Mid and my grandma were there, and this kid from the other team threw at me. If you're here, I still am trying to forgive you. And he whacked me on the wrist. My Aunt Mid was on the field before I could even get up, yelling at the kid going, where's his parents? I'm not saying you should feel safe around crazy, but I am saying that there are certain people that when you're in their presence, you can go... And I just want to ask, when's the last time you were able to go, because you knew they were near? He's a good shepherd. He makes us lie down in green pastures. There's been so many times I've gone rogue and run away from Jesus. Like on Sundays, I'm a beast in the pulpit. I get to Monday and I'm a coward and everything's overwhelming and I'm worried and I can't sleep and I'm stressed out. Not that any of you have ever come to church and worship God as if he were almighty God and then walked out as if he couldn't take on a Monday. I don't, I don't know. Just throwing it out there for me. But there's this text in Matthew chapter 11 and Jesus says, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You don't have to come clean. You don't have to come put together. You don't have to come bro, you don't you don't have to come over, as overcoming the addiction. You don't have to come having performed well this week. So you're like, oh, we can go to church this week. Why? Because I did good. No. Come to me all who are weary. Stop trying to fix it. You're not gonna lead yourself out of this. You led yourself into it. Let me lead you to where you've not been. Let me provide for you what you've yet to see provided. I've needed that verse this last year because uh, just this week, my wife and I were senior, pa- I was a senior pastor at a church for 13 years, got it blessed. It, it grew to like 1,400 people at one point in time. We baptized a few thousand people in the lifetime of that church. And I felt God say, you're done. And I'm like, okay, well, what are we gonna do? And he's like, step down. What are we gonna do? Obedience. That's what we're gonna do. And God has this really unique way of being really patient, waiting on you to do what he's told you to do. Like he doesn't bring extra stuff in. Some of y'all, God's told you to do something. You're like, but can we do this too? Can we add this on? Can we put this detail in? God's like, no, we can do this. God provides for everything you need to do everything he's called you to do today. We then try to make promises or get promises about what's yet to come in tomorrow. God doesn't play like that. Trust me. The beginning of the Bible is God saying, trust me. And by Genesis chapter three, people are like, "Ah, I don't think we're gonna trust you. So he makes a covenant and he says, trust me. But then the people are like, "Ah, we've been bearing for a long time. I ain't gonna trust you. Here's my servant. God's like, trust me. Tells Moses and Moses is like, I don't know if you can, I don't think I'm gonna trust you. I mean, literally verse by verse, chapter by chapter is a faithful God going, would you trust me? And an unfaithful people going, don't think so. And he still sends Jesus. That's how good of a shepherd he is. You tracking with me? Yeah. <laughs> I've needed this first because th- just this week I've thought, I've ruined my family. W- will I ever get to preach again consistently? 
Will I ever find myself in ministry again? Will my kids hate me because we moved them away from their family? Will our money that we stored up be enough to get us through the season that we're in? Like, like, like what, what if my wife hates where we moved back to and she thought it would be great to be around family, but it turns out to be a big burden and a pain in somewhere else because we're now around family that has expectations that you could say, you know, we're 2,500 miles away and we can't come. Here's a rain check. The other day I found myself happy. And I was concerned that I was happy because I was in a season of transition. I'm like, can I be happy while I'm in this? Maybe you've been there, right? Where you're overwhelmed and burdened. In that moment, come to Jesus. All who were weary and heavy laden. And he will give you rest. He will give you rest. Notice what the text says. He makes me lie down. You can lie down because he's near. But he doesn't make you lie down in a desert. He makes you lie down. Let me make sure you understand this. He walks you through the valley. He doesn't keep you in the valley. Even though I walk through the... Okay, we walk there. We lie down in the pasture. That's next week sometime. But we lie down in the pasture. Now, many of us, when we read this in green pastures, we think about like what we see in fields around here. Because like if you don't cut your grass here, it will like grow over your house. And no one will even know you're there. It's great. It's good prep work for the zombie apocalypse. You'll be ready. All right? And so we think green pastures is this field that just has so much in it that, that you can eat for weeks. But in reality, the people that would have read and heard this psalm, they would have seen this picture. Green pastures. There's some green light faintly right there. And, and you'll notice it's on a hill. It's not flat. Because the flat land was for the rich folk. That's where you grew the people's food. Maybe you would take as a shepherd your sheep into the flatland after it had been harvested and your sheep would eat on the gleanings. But most days you were on a journey as a shepherd on a time schedule that you had figured out about where you needed to be to find sustenance for your sheep each day as you were rotating through the places that would have small shoots of grass growing out from the rocks. Now in those green pastures, because some of you are like, this is disappointing. I thought we were you know, talking about a God that had a big field full of stuff. No, no, we have a God that provides everything you need today to do what he's called you to do today. So he brings the shepherd, them into the pasture. They eat for the day and they have enough. But tomorrow, if they don't move on to a pasture that the shepherd knows he's going to lead them to, they will be hungry. They will find themselves in need. You see, the sheep literally are day-to-day dependent upon the shepherd. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell this to you quickly. I, I don't know this is uh, for everybody, and I, I, don't, I don't think this should necessarily be mimicked. But when we, when we moved to plant this church out in California, we had saved up $7,000 and uh, we had decided to give six months of my church planner's salary, which was, you know, like 1500 bucks, and our rent was $953. Not that I was paying attention to it, how tight it was. And my wife got a job that paid her about 1200 a month. So we're making $2,700 in California where gas is like $17 a gallon. Praise God. Taco Bell was our friend. And I, I'm sitting there reading the story of the rich young ruler. You familiar with it? Anybody? Okay, and so in that story, this guy says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, what have you heard? And he quotes the law back, and he says, yeah, do these things, but go and sell all you have and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler goes away because he had a lot of stuff. And I felt the Lord say to me, would I still ask someone to sell everything and come after me today? And it was one of those trap moments. Any of y'all been trapped in your quiet time lately where you were like answering a question with overconfidence, not knowing that the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings was meeting with you and he was about to bring a point into your life that would challenge and test your faith in a way that's never been tested before. And so I, I'm sitting there, I was like, Lord, we've, of course, 
done this. We gave away our car when we moved out here. We gave away our furniture. We gave away our washing machine when we moved out here. That's big doings for a Southern man to let go of a washing machine. I love being clean. And we moved all the way across the country with what we could fit in a little truck and $7,000 and a ticking deadline to we ain't got enough. And I felt the Lord say to me, boy, what about the savings account? And I was like, you don't want that. That was a nest egg. That was called responsible planning. I listened to Dave Ramsey. (laughs) And I felt the Lord say, I want you to give that to me and let me be your provider and your shepherd. And I did what all of you would do. I got a blanket, went to the corner and cried. And I began to do what all y'all been doing this week, a lot of you. I said, God, if you, if you, my stutter came back. If you, if you want us to do this, then when my wife comes home for lunch, have her bring it up. Just throwing out some fleeces. Make that one pink, make that one purple, that one wet, that one dry, and then we'll know. Left, left, up, down, A, B, right, left. So Morgan comes home from lunch. I'm in the corner. She goes, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what do you think is wrong with me? True story. She looks at me, she goes, the Lord told you to give the church some money. (laughs) How much? All of it. I start crying hysterical. I'd asked God to let me live. I didn't want to just read the stories about I wanted to live in one. Any of y'all want to do that? I got anybody in the house that wants to live? Like you want to, (laughs) ain't nobody raising their hand. Wow, we got some work to do. I I didn't want to read about other people's experiences of God. I wanted to experience firsthand the power of God in my life. So Morgan's like, as I'm crying, she says, go get the checkbook. I married a woman of God. She knows. And we wrote it. Now, I thought to myself at one point when we were eating peanut butter jelly and Cheez-Its for like the seventh meal in a row, I thought to myself, well, I could call my, my, my earthly father because he's done well for himself, and he'd probably slide us you know, some money so I could take my wife to Applebee's on a date night. you know. And I felt the Lord say to me, boy, if you trusted me as much as you trust your earthly father, I would show you things you've never seen before. My pastors are green. There's always enough for you to do what I've called you to do whenever you walk in my pasture. But I spent the majority of my life, and I'd still do it today, trying to stay away from his pastures because I think I can find greener ones on my own. Now, here's what I want to ask you today. Whose field are you lying down in? Because some people will feed you to fatten you up, and it ain't so that they can let you have a good life. It's so that they can take advantage of you. It's so they can have favors over you. It's so they can lord it over you, not in a righteous and holy way, not in a way that's going to bring life, but in a way that's going to take life from you. Whose field are you lying in? Seriously, when you look in the mirror, whose field are you lying in? The field of the enemy that brings up your past or the field of the Savior that died, redeemed, and set you free from it? When you look at your bank account and you're trying to make decisions on how to live a generous life, whose field are you lying in? Is it the field of God that trusts that if you're obedient when God prompts you, even if it's impossible, even if you don't know how it's going to happen, is it his field that says, yeah, we're open-handed because what I have came from God and what I'll need will come from God tomorrow and I'm not afraid to live dependent on God in my day-to-day life. I'm not scared. 
Whose field are you lying in? Whew. I didn't come to play church with you guys. I didn't want to come and just sit here and talk to you about stuff that's conceptual so you could say, oh, that was a good message, preacher. I'm going to invite a friend next week because they need to hear this. No, you need to hear this. This was for you. The Lord, almighty, powerful God, the name above all names, wants to be your shepherd. When you put your trust in him and you walk alongside him, you will find enough. So that in the moments, even when the I never thoughts happen and you're stressed and overwhelmed and you're going, I I don't, I, I don't know what to do. You can know that when God is near, you can still lie down. You can still feast today and trust that the pastor where you'll find provision tomorrow will not be something you stumble into by accident, but the providence and the care and the goodness of the good shepherd will lead you into that tomorrow in his time for his glory and for his name. So here's, we'll win. We didn't come to play church. We've got a group of people that are up here at the altar so that we can be the church and do church together. And some of you are broken and you're trying to get out of here. God's at work and, and, and you're like, not again, God. I, I'm, not, I'm not going down that path again, God. I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna go there. And I believe God has set up this moment providentially to meet with you in this one half verse of a psalm to say, take a nap. Lie down. Let them come through me. <laughs> Let them come through me. I'm the gates. I'm the provider. Let me handle it. Trust me. I said earlier, I think today we need to heal. And for some of you, that healing begins by coming to the good shepherd, the great physician and saying, God, what's broken, what's hurting, I can't fix and I need you. Man, that's a beautiful posture before God. So they're going to come to pray with you. If you need to come to the altar and just say, God, I need to bend a knee. I need to say, I need you. I need to declare my dependency upon you. You do that. If you need to stand and sing, you stand and sing to the top of your lungs. But let's be a people who profess, if we're followers of Christ, to be a people that live dependent upon his leadership in every season and state of life that we may find ourselves in. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand to your feet. You move as the Lord leads. In Jesus' name.